0: you're listening to New England Public Radio News. I'm Susan Kaplan and this is the short list, NEPR's week in review. Joining us today, the Springfield Republicans Ron Shamilis and Natalia Muñoz of WHMP's Valle Con Muñoz. Thanks to both of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. The Massachusetts Senate and House has overwhelmingly passed a bill giving themselves judges and other state workers including the governor a big hike in pay. House Speaker Bob DeLeo and Senate President Stan Rosenberg would each get a $45,000 bump. Rosenberg, an Amherst Democrat, says it's long overdue. Let's listen.
1: I just want to remind you that it had not been adjusted for 33 years. Most people get cost-of-living increases on their whole compensation
0: package every year. Governor Baker plans to veto the bill, but the bill appears to have the votes to override. So, Natalia, what do you think? Is this the
2: right time to ask for the raises? What I think is that it's disgraceful. I've been looking for a word. It's disgraceful that Rosenberg even tries to give himself a justification. 33 years, no, they've had pay raises before. And a 40000 plus pay raise at this time for me, blurs the lines between Democrats and Donald Trump.
1: Ron, do you
0: have anything to, to add to that?
1: That's a tough one to follow, but I'll try. But I'll agree. It's indefensible. The timing is indefensible. They're barely seated in a new session. The first thing they do is give themselves a huge pay hike. And to compare them to average people and to grab with both hands for tens of thousands of dollars is ridiculous and it's insulting. And they're rushing this thing through uh, in ways that more important legislation that would help people do not go through. Uh, I understand Governor Baker has vetoed it. They'll probably override it, but I with Baker on this one. There's no defense for this.
0: Do you think in the end it's possible that they asked for so much because they figure they're going to end up either for the because of the reaction from the public uh, lowering the amount, that maybe that's why they asked for so much?
2: I hope they're not being that cynical. They shouldn't even ask for it in the first place.
0: All right. Well, moving along, President Trump, as he said he would, has signed an executive order instructing federal agencies to cut federal grants for immigrant-protecting so-called sanctuary cities. Such municipalities refuse to use their resources to enforce federal immigration law or bar local police from asking people about their immigration status. Cambridge, Somerville, Boston, Northampton, Holyoke, and Amherst are
2: among those included. Natalia, what are you hearing in reaction to this move? I'm hearing from people who are immigrants, whether documented or without a legal status, that they're very worried. And then from city government, is we can say we're going to take a stand and, and remain a sanctuary city, as Marty Walsh did in Boston so forcefully, which is great. But federal funds matter. Communities receive federal funds, uh, CDBG money, community development block grants, money for their roads. Trump is putting cities and people in a very difficult and shameful situation.
0: Yeah, Ron, there's a lot of federal money at risk. And, you know, a lot of mayors, as Natalia says, are telling us, including the mayor of Northampton, that, you know, there is too much at risk here and they are going to try to fight it. But, but is how big is the risk for communities?
1: Well, I think the risk of losing federal aid is huge. Uh, and, and I have great sympathy for the mayors. And I wouldn't blame the mayors for looking out for that. Uh, they are responsible for all of their people. And to cut off communication and funding from Washington hurts their own people. I think it's very sad, though, that Donald Trump is pitting communities against Washington. Uh, that's what this is all about. That's the bullying tactic that, that we've known him to, to do. Uh, but again, I sympathize known with the mayor. him for mayors. A week. What's that? Known him as president for one week. Well, known him ever since he opened his mouth in the campaign. <laughs> That's this should right. be no surprise. Okay, he's doing what he said he would do. I'll, I'll give him that much. But and, and I don't blame mayors for being very careful about, or or governors for being very careful about not jeopardizing
0: funding that they
1: need. But they're but they're being put in a very unfair
0: position.
2: I agree with you, Ron.
0: A rally this week outside of Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey's Springfield offices was held to encourage them to resist approving Trump's nominees. And then the next day, Warren voted for Ben Carson to lead the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Here's what organizer Jafet Robles with the group Neighbor to Neighbor had to say about that.
1: Part of me says, you
0: know, I wish you would have just fought and rejected him, um, but realistically a lot of these people are going to get in anyway. So
1: Um, I think she's in a tough position to make some really tough decisions right now.
0: Natalia, on her Facebook page, Warren explained her decision by saying that she'd gotten Ben Carson to make some promises that she intends to hold him to. Are you buying that?
2: Not at all. Elizabeth Warren was right the first time in characterizing the Republican Party and Trump's incoming cabinet members. It's, 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 It's too bad that she voted for him. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand of New York, the senator from New York, has voted against him. She is actually developing a track record for voting against Trump's appointees, with the exception of the ambassador the, UN, the ambassador to the United Nations. I think that Elizabeth Warren is a sincere person. She's one of those true politicians that says what she means. I think she made a very big mistake, because it does matter who you vote for. Even if the other guy is going to get in, it still matters that you say, well, I'm not going to vote for him.
0: What about Ron do you think that this could give Warren um, a stronger negotiating position to leave the door open on voting for some of the nominees? Does that in any way improve her chances of having sway with them when they get into office?
1: Well, Considering who she's dealing with, President Donald Trump, I think if that's what she's trying to do, she will fail. I think that would be a very naive approach on her part if she's trying to finagle her way into a negotiating position. I just don't think he's going to negotiate with her. I-, I hate to be so cynical as to say that she voted for him because he was black, so I won't say it. <laughs> but what I will say in her behalf is I think maybe she realized she has to pick her spots in her fights. There will be plenty to fight over. And maybe this was when she said, I'll save my bullets and my political bullets for another day, for another fight. I can live with this one.
0: What do you think is going to happen next in terms of Elizabeth Warren? Do you think that there's any – is she going to make a big stand about something else? Do you see something like that well, coming? Well, I think
1: it's possible because now I think she knows that people are questioning just how sincere she is by backing Carson. So it wouldn't surprise me if her next move is to reestablish her liberal credentials, her anti-Trump credentials, and try to remind her support base that she's really still 100% on their side. Quick response?
2: It seems like she isn't 100% on people's sides with her vote.
0: Natalia Munoz of Vallecol Munoz and the Springfield Republicans' Ron Shamilis, Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank, thank you, you Susan. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning into the shortlist, NEPR's Week in Review. You can catch this segment anytime by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or by going to NEPR.net slash podcasts. I'm Susan Kaplan, and this is New England Public Radio.